Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. Remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, uh, I was talking to my guest uh, off air. I met him years ago. I, I There's this great sushi place in uh, in Burbank called uh, Octopus. And what's great about it is their pieces are really big and they're always half price. And back before I met the lovely Joanne, I would go there with like a different date like every week. And I'd always get sit in the same table. And I would sit there and the waitress would go, oh, you're, you're back. And I remember one date said, uh, oh, same same table, different girl. So I said, I started getting to sit in different tables. But I, I walked in, I, I was leaving the bathroom and he was coming in or I was at whatever and he I just seen him in a commercial earlier and he was very nice he was a nice guy and I said I said hey I just saw you in that commercial you know congrats and and he's like oh you know well hopefully more will come and more has come and Brian Stepanek's my guest yes hello how are you I like that tribal music uh, you know it's funny I do was... we vote each other off at the end of the, exactly. end of the segment <laughs> do you watch Survivor I don't. I watched it like the first two seasons and then I, I lost interest in it. But it was, I mean, it's how many years is it now? It's kind of like 14, crazy. 15 years, maybe? My girlfriend watches that stuff and I, I sit there, I go upstairs. Because, yeah. I mean, like, she watches Big Brother, which is funny because she's an intelligent woman. And I go, why do you watch Big Brother? Like, Amazing Race, I can understand. Yes. Because that's that's good. It's competition. And, mm-hmm. and I, I know a few of my very, very good friends work on The Biggest Loser and American Idol as sound people. And they said, with Amazing Race, what's amazing is that you as a sound man have to be in such excellent shape like you have to train because you're running the oh, whole yeah. time oh yeah the stamina is unbelievable so yeah so I met you, you that was uh, years ago you, you, that was one of your was that one of your first commercials uh, you know you said it was a state farm it wasn't because if it, it was out here I was in Chicago for six years doing commercials for a while so my first commercial ever was for Indiana Lottery and uh when I started in Chicago, in Chicago, you could be multi-listed. Well, you're from Cleveland. I'm from Cleveland originally, and then I went to Syracuse University. You went to the Q's. The I Orange did. I went to the Q's. They're first place, baby, right yeah, now. They're number one. My, Undefeated. My, Boheim. I remember my, my sister is, I'm 50. My sister is 55. Uh-huh. I remember she went there for one year, uh-huh. and Roosevelt Bowie was their center. So oh this is God. years and years yeah, ago. yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, who was there? Uh, my, my freshman year it was Billy Owens, Derek Coleman, Stevie Thompson, um, I can't remember some of the other guys, but they were number one all season. I'm the youngest of six kids. Two of my brothers went to Villanova, one went to Notre Dame. Okay, so that's big. Villanova, Syracuse is big. Oh, huge. I remember when Villanova won the national championship. Yep. I was in college, and I remember we're one one kid. Like, we all went to a state school in New Jersey. One idiot <laughs> wanted Georgetown, and we're like, why do you want Georgetown? Yeah. And he was like the kid who always liked the team that was winning. Sure, you know? sure. And she was a like, front runner, yeah. Yeah, and we're like, dude, you know, it's if they win, we might drive an hour up to Philly and try to get late. Right. You know, because it's <laughs> like the girls would be crazy. Right, and he's right, like, right. oh, the Hoya. And then we started just ribbing them. And I remember that game vividly because it was, it was one of the best shooting this is how good Georgetown was it was one of the best shooting performances where Villanova shot 80% from the floor and they won by like two or yep. four so that's how good the team was but back in Syracuse with Derek Coleman you guys were number one they, what happened they, they were number one they went they went 20 they went something like 20 and 3 they lost to Villanova twice and Notre Dame once. Okay. And those are my brother's schools. Oh, that's funny. Like, what are the chances? I mean, I'm talking trash all year. It's my freshman year in college. Syracuse is going to crush you. We were by far. And then they, I think they lost in the first round in the tournament that year. It was like, the, it was, at that time, it was the earliest any number one had gone out. It was awful. Now, was your major acting? Or how, how did you get into the whole acting thing? Was you, as a kid, you said you're one of six. So you, what, where are you in those I'm six? The youngest. Okay, so you had the... You got mom's attention, but you had to battle for it. Oh, yeah. I had, to, I had to battle for, for, for all of it. That's why I eat so fast. Because when the pizza hit the table, you had to. Isn't that funny? It's like, it's it's so like true. my mom eats very slow. There's only three of us. There's three of us. Uh, my mom eats very slow. Uh-huh. And my dad would eat fast. And my sister was heavy. So she would just eat. Right. And we learned to eat just so we would get seconds. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember that, you know, the, the, whatever meal would hit the table, I was done as fast as I could because my brothers were all playing football. They're in high school playing football. They're all old. You know, the, the closest in age, I think, is eight years. So, um, so, yeah, I grew up with all the brothers and sisters, and I started doing community theater. And, uh, and then I got into Syracuse, and I started in their musical theater program. Well, you must have had good SATs because Syracuse is not a hard school. It's a hard school to get into. What were you, 1280? Yeah, yeah, really high. So, anyway... Um, I, uh, I, I I had a ten twenty. So I, listen, I, I was I, I was not it was not good at taking tests. Um, but anyway, went went there and then transferred out of musical theater because it was it was very uh, method Stanislavski all that stuff. And at the time, I was like, I don't I don't want to do this. So I transferred out, went into speech communications, and then audited every audition class I could take. Okay, and because I thought that's what's going to get me work. So I, I did every audition class and then auditioned for every show that I was eligible to be in. So you couldn't do a main stage show unless it was directed by a grad student. And I ended up doing 11 shows in three years and uh, did a bunch of audition classes. And all of those things that I learned in those audition classes, I used and got me work over the next four years in Chicago. What gravitated you, though, to follow this path? I mean, being the youngest and thing, but did, as, was it, as a kid, did you watch a lot of theater did. or did you watch a lot of TV? Or what What, what, do you, what are your, some of your memories that were Jerry influences? Lewis movies. Uh, Saturday mornings watching Abbott and Costello and Jerry Lewis. I love Jerry Lewis. Th- oh, Jerry Lewis was a... F- Listen, you look at that typing, you know, the, the thing where the, the bit uh, where he's uh, doing the typing with the, the invisible typewriter, um, uh, what was it? The bellhop or the the bellboy? The bellboy, yeah. That, that he did is that extra film that he had to throw in because of his deal with the studio. And when you know he conducts the orchestra that isn't there, he was an unbelievable comedian. Right, unbelievable. And it's funny because in my stand-up act, I always do Jerry Lewis singing uh, Jimi Hendrix, and it's just and oh, young, that's young, great. Young, and then I do Jerry Lewis singing Kenny Rogers. I just go, lady. But it, it always, it always when it's an <laughs> that's older, great. when it's an older crowd, it kills. But when it's a younger crowd, they don't know who you're sometimes they're like, what? And then I think they just laugh because I'm going, lady, and they don't get it. Right. But it's so. So you, you were you loved the Lewis and you loved the Abbott and Costello. And I grew up with it, and I I, I loved. Uh, you know, any any time I was watching a Jerry Lewis movie, I just wanted him in the scene. And okay. so I just didn't. Well, everything else was crap, and I just wanted to see him. And so I was just gravitated. I just gravitated towards it and wanted to be a part of it. And started doing little community theaters in the little town outside of Cleveland I lived in. And and uh, and then when I got into high school, I started getting a little more serious about it and and writing a little bit. And and uh, and believe it or not, it was my mom that was like, "You you need to go into theater in college." Maybe because she knew that was the only way I was going to get in. Right. <laughs> and uh, and so I auditioned for Syracuse and got in. And then, uh, but then I transferred out, and then I did a one-man musical called uh, Herringbone, um, and uh, one of the faculty members at Syracuse cast me, and it was like a, eleven characters, and, and it was a musical, and I did that, and a, and a young producer from Chicago brought me to Chicago. That's how I ended up in Chicago. Now you went to act or do improv or what? I went to Chicago. I did I did uh, commercial voiceover, and then I toured with Second City for a little while. Oh yeah. Now now were you in the same years as like Rose Abdu and? Uh, I was there with Tina Fey and Rachel okay. Dratch. Um, and Horatio Sanz, they were, they were there. All that was the crowd that was there when I was there. Well, my first guest, Peter Holney, was a uh, mm-hmm. in, you know from Second City, and he's more improv Olympic. Mm-hmm. Did you have a hard process getting into Second City? Because I heard it's it's very it, 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 back then. It was like back then. Punch. I think three hundred people would audition, and they they'd hire four. Okay. Um, so the first time I auditioned, I did not get in. The second year I auditioned, I went in with a guy who didn't know what he was doing. And by that point, I had taken classes down there, so they kind of knew me. And this guy, this guy was just, it was, you know, the, the rule of yes and. He didn't know that rule. So I got out there, and it was horrible. And they all came out to me afterwards and said, don't worry about it. Just, just you're coming to the callback. And eventually I got in. And so then I toured with him for about a year and a half and then moved to L.A. Had you been to L.A. before you moved? 
Not really. Not since I was 16, visiting with my parents. So, so I, won a, I won a Jeff Award in Chicago. It's like Chicago's Tony Award. Okay. And I did that for a, a musical called Me and My Girl. I played Bill Snipson in that. And once so you, I, were, you were doing improv and you were actually seriously acting. Doing, well, musical theater. Yeah. But so I don't know how serious that is. <laughs> well, Except well, for, for the me, ballads. The ballads sometimes got really serious. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it's, it's yeah, that's how I call serious acting. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I saw, we saw Priscilla, Queen of the Desert at yeah. uh, Pantages. Not serious. No. Acting. Just fun. Book of Mormon. Not serious. But to me, I it's it's acting, but it's legit acting. It's not. It, it, it was a real deal. And, you know, you could make money and, you know, and, and beautiful theaters, you know, out in Drury Lane, Oak Brook, and, and, um, and at the Goodman did a couple musicals there. And, and, uh, but it was tough to, to, to balance between touring with Second City and doing musical theater. You know? What did you like better? If you, if you, did you love doing, I mean, do you have, so you can sing I, well. I, I like, yeah, I, I think I like musical theater better. I think I liked. <clears throat> You know, with with improv, you're you're touring around the country in a van, and sometimes the crowds are you know what they are. But in mu- the musical theater was you know, the production value of it, and the and the you know it's a thousand seat state you know um, auditoriums. Right, and right. It was just great. It just felt you felt like you were a pro. You know, you're up there doing your thing. And I had never made it to main stage at Second City in Chicago. I had left, um, so I never got that feeling at, at Second City except for you know Monday night once a month we got to do that. So you you move out here. You decide. Now, I always ask my guests, where was your first place? Because I always crack up. Like, everyone that sits there goes, and you moved what year? It was 90? It was 99. Okay, so LA's changed a lot. Like, oh, yes. Like, when I lived, as I always say, I lived in this little crappy studio in Leland, which is in Hollywood and Highland. Uh-huh. But it wasn't what Hollywood and Highland is what it is now. Oh, there no. was There was basically the powerhouse bar and homeless people. <laughs> I mean, it's not like all this... There wasn't a gap. There was no mall. It was like you sat there and you 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 would figure if you we me and my neighbor would walk to the powerhouse, which was like a block and a half. Yeah, you figure you get accosted at least once. If you make it, you deserve yeah, the beer. Exactly. Yeah, and then there was that ninety nine cents Chinese place. It oh was my God. it had a C, and I'm like, first of all, I won't go into a restaurant that is a C. Right. But when it's a ninety nine cents <laughs> Chinese food with a C, <laughs> you're going okay. I can't go in there. So where where'd you live? I I was not far from there. I was on Poinsettia. Okay. Between just... uh, between Sunset and um, and uh, Romaine. Yeah. Right? Okay. Oh God. Yeah. Right, right in there. So, yeah. It's... And so it was. You know, it was that that Rock and Roll Ralphs. You know that. that oh yeah. Rock and Roll Ralphs. <laughs> it's the street right across from it. That poinsettia. Okay. And I, I it was infested with cockroaches. Oh well, see, that's that's so funny. They're a big problem in Hollywood and Burbank. I don't get them. Oh, and, it and was I, un. I li- I sat on my couch one night eating something, and there was one on my hand. Oh, really? On my and oh I. My people God. don't believe me when I say that story, but I. But I. It was. I'd go into the kitchen at night and turn on the light, and they'd all go down into the drain. And I was a. I'm a clean guy. Right. But I was right next to the the chute, the garbage chute. Oh, see, that's crazy. It was awful. It was a little one bedroom. So yeah. you move here, and now and now you you moved here with you had you had accomplishment. I mean, I just yeah. you won the Jeff Award, and when you moved out here, did you have an agent lined I up? I did. Okay. I did. I. I had, from the time I was 25, I did not have to have another job. So when I was in Chicago, I worked at a, a, a restaurant called Charlie's Ale House as a kind of an assistant manager. And then I worked at, um, at Kinko's. Okay. And I had those two jobs. Because I couldn't get a job as a waiter because they were hiring beautiful girls and guys that had experience doing it. I had none. It's so funny out here because I mean, I, I, when I moved out here, I waited tables because I had worked at Planet Hollywood in San Diego. Well, you're a beautiful girl. And that's probably exactly. why you got no, the job. But what's amazing is out here, it's like, and going back east, you, you never see this in Midwest. I'm sure you didn't. Yeah, they have to bring like they, they bring like a headshot with I, their resume. Is that, is that true out here? Do they actually do? Yes, that? no. Because I, I used to I used to do corporate marketing for a Granville Cafe, and also was a marketing manager for Gordon Beers. And I would always sit there and I would laugh because like the floor manager would go, oh, well, "Look at this," and I'm like. 
There's a headshot. Head that's insane. It's like it's a waiting job. It's not like you know. It's like, and the worst thing is, we I was talking about this. Uh, it's got new headshots a while ago. I always crack with headshots where like women who look nothing like their headshot. Right. And then when you go into a casting agent, like me and you were balding guys. Yeah. We can't sit there. And if we put a weave on, people will go, "What the hell?" But for them, it's like, don't you think that the agent or the casting director goes? Wait, who's this girl? I think they do. I don't think that la- go, they're they are not long for this business if they keep doing that because they're going to walk in the room and they're just it's going to piss the casting right. director off so much they're never going to walk in the room again. So you said you never worked another job from waiting from twenty five. So when you moved out here, did you immediately start working or what happened? I did. I, I had I was with a commercial agent that was in Chicago and but New you York were booking commercials back in Chicago. I, I was, and then when I moved out here, I signed on with them out here. Um, and the, the head of the agency had had come to Chicago for you know t- to do uh, business with his branch in Chicago and came to see me in, a, in another one-man show that I did. So he was a fan. So when I came to L.A., I was immediately in the groove auditioning for commercials because I've survived really mostly on commercials. I mean, I've done a lot of TV film, but that hasn't been what's paid the bills. It's being spokesperson for different products. Now, you said your one-man show. Mm-hmm. Now, what was that called? It was called Fixin' to Die. It was about Lee Atwater, who was the um, campaign manager for the first George Bush. Right. Now, how, how did you come up with that idea? Did you write it? I did not write it. It was okay. it had already been written. I... I uh, that was an interesting thing because I, they, the guy who was originally doing it had a breakdown because he, he, the pressure was too much for him. They were 12 days away from opening, and so they had this, this call, and I got a call from a guy I had worked with at another theater. He said, you, you, do you want to come in and audition for this? So I did, and I had to learn an hour and 45-minute one-man show in 12 days. Wow. I mean, that's just that's so much... And I, you have to learn the direction, too, I, not just the, the script. No idea how I did it. I, I, would, I would work at the restaurant in the morning, and then I would go to rehearsal in the afternoon. We'd rehearse from like noon to two because that's all you could do. You're in every, you're, you're talking the whole time. And then I would take a break. I'd go back to the theater, meet the stage manager, and memorize from like six o'clock at night till ten. And I'd do it every single day until I knew it. And it, and it was it was one of the most stressful things I've ever had to do. It was but huge. It probably got you very prepared for acting out here because you you. I mean, now if someone says, hey, remember this scene or a commercial, remember these three lines, you're probably like, yeah. Well, it still stresses me out. I mean, I'm I'm in class once a week just to keep that that skill, to to memorize lines and and be able to deal with with copy and character. Because if you're not doing it, if you're not in class, I don't know how people can not be in class and still audition effectively. I have to be. I have to be practicing all the time. Or okay. I just lose the edge. You just lose it. So you come here, and mm-hmm. you were established with commercials in Chicago. Yep. You have an agent. Yep. What are some of the first commercials you start booking out here? That's a good question. I booked a commercial for uh, Radar Ball, Rawlings Radar Ball, with Randy Johnson. Okay. Uh, who was that six foot ten pitcher for the Diamondbacks? But you're a tall guy. You're what six? Yeah, but once next to him, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I was a dwarf. And I remember I, we had to go out into the desert in Arizona. They flew me to Arizona, and I had to I had to deliver uh, sixty seconds of copy, right? And while I'm doing it, they have someone under the camera handing me one type of radar ball that I hold up to the camera and have to put it in focus, put it down. They replace that with a hat. They put another radar ball in my other hand. I put that up. Have to put it in focus. This is while I'm talking. Put that down, and then I put the hat up, and then another hat. This is all in 60 seconds. And they didn't start shooting me until the sun was setting. So they're like, we have 15 minutes. Oh, wow. And they changed the copy, and there were two versions of it. And it was, it was awful. It was just awful. But I did it. I mean, I got through it. I hated what I did in it because you could see me thinking. That was the first thing I booked out here. That was one of the first things. So did it, did it give you an air of confidence then? Because you're like, okay, I can, I can get work in this town? Yeah. I think it helps a lot. I mean, even if you just get called back and you get put on a veil – 
which for anybody who's listening that doesn't know what that means, it means when you get called back and you're one of the top choices of the client and the director that you're put on a veil or on hold. And that happened a lot. So you you get you book that and then you start booking more commercials. Yes, and so and then people start knowing you as the guy with a certain look. It's yep. like Chip Chinnery used to. Yeah, yeah. I just saw him two okay. seconds ago. Was, just was, just literally an hour ago. Oh, that's funny because yeah. he was on my show ages ago. But he had the same thing. He said people would say, "Okay, they think all of a sudden we want that guy." And yeah, they know you. So you, you started getting those calls. That started happening, uh, and then I booked uh, a couple. I booked us. The big thing that really helped me was I. Uh, besides the Disney Channel thing, theatrically, was I booked a a phone book uh, called Dex. Um, it was it was they were originally affiliated with Quest, um, and I became the, the spokesperson for Dex phone books. And I had that gig for about six years. And uh, you know we shot several commercials a year, but that that gig helped me pay for my house. It I mean it was amazing what that did for me. Now when you're a spokesperson. You go through the audition. And yeah. Now, when you sign to be a spokesperson, mm-hmm. do you have any idea how long it's going to last? Yes. Okay, yes. so they sit there and go, okay, Brian, we're going to have you for six years. Or I mean, They have options, okay. just like a TV show. You, they, we have options for other years to pick you up, and you negotiate what the bump would be for each year, all that stuff, and then what, what you're exclusive to. So that one, because it was regional, they couldn't take me out of everything. Like if I was the spokesperson for McDonald's, they'd take me out of everything. They wouldn't want me doing a Honda commercial right. or anything. This was regional. So it just took me out of telecommunications. So I couldn't do any AT&T, anything like that um, for those. But who cares? I mean, they were they were paying me. So It's amazing that something, like you said, to pay for your house and stuff like that, and it was regional. I mean, that, that's just that's just that's blows my mind that, you know, because you, you always get big on LA casting and stuff. You, get, you read different yep. submissions, and it's like for Norway or for this. And there's so many different niches where you could be like a big star in Norway yeah, and no one would know who you are over here. Oh, it's crazy. It, it's crazy. And, and it, it uh, the first time I experienced that, not because of commercial, but because of Disney Channel, was I, I went to Italy to shoot a series of silent shorts that I wrote and, and co-wrote and co-produced called Brian O'Brien. And when I got there, all these Italian kids came running up to me. And talking to me in Italian because I was dubbed an Italian in Italy. Oh, so wow. they thought I could speak Italian. And I couldn't. But I couldn't believe I was in a completely different country and these kids were all the time. It's amazing. That's like Mark Valley said he was when he was in a soap opera, he was Jack Devereaux. And he was over uh, somewhere and they had just gotten the soap opera. I mean, he was in a role five years ago and the cab driver was looking, You're Jack, you're Jack. Crazy. And, and he's like he's like, What? And he's like, Oh my god. And in his in his mind you're going that was five years ago. Yeah. It's just crazy. And you're in a completely, it just doesn't, it doesn't, your brain can't put it together. So you're doing the commercials. Yes. Now, and you're making a good living. Yes. And you don't have to wait tables or anything like that. Right, right. And you're a spokesperson. And at what point do you start getting acting work on TV shows and stuff like that? And do you, I mean, you have to be, you have to be, you have to be happy doing commercials. It's, I mean, you're making your bank. But were you doing theater all out here or what were you doing? No, I, you know, I did, I did something at uh, Reprise. I did uh, Fiorello with Tony Danza, like, like it was just us. Tony Danza was in it and I was in it too. Okay. At, at, <laughs> me and Tony were doing it. Was, it was two man show. Two man soft shoe. It, it was Brian and Brian, but it was um, Brian yeah, and Tony. Brian and Tony. Oh, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, Angela. And so uh, I did that, and um, but the first thing I think I booked was a show called Shasta McNasty, which I see this on your IMDb, which is funny because a guy I know named George Doty the Third was a writer for Shasta McNasty. Really? Yeah, I know him. He used to be a Seinfeld writing assistant, and I remember we talked. She was in the very beginning. He was one of my first guests because I, I was run into him, and he's like, "Yeah, one of my first writing jobs was a show called Shasta McNasty, which it was starred." Uh, it was with a Busey, uh, Barry Busey's yeah, son. Jake Busey. Yeah, and uh, what's his name that's on CSI? Um, William Peterson? No, uh, the, no the, the, Scott Kahn. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah, he was one of the guys. I think it was Scott. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. So that was your first. You, I saw you, you did some, you did an early edition. But you probably did that in that Chicago. That was in Chicago. Okay. So I had done early edition in Chicago. I did Cupid in Chicago. It was the only thing shooting there and you do, right. you know, what you can. And then did Cupid shoot there because Piven had such a I, I don't know. I'm assuming yes. I'm assuming yes, but I don't know what the, the you know, maybe the producer he partnered with, they said, let's go do it in Chicago. So you're doing commercials and you get the Shasta McNasty. So I get the Shasta McNasty and then I recurred on it. I was on it a couple times, which was kind of neat. Now, um, was that nervous for you at all? Was the nervousness just because with, with, when you're doing commercials, you only have 30 seconds or right. a minute to convey your message. Right. And it's all about you. Yep. It focuses on you. In a show like this, it's different. Now, was Shasta put in front of a live audience or no? No, okay. no, it was single camera. Were you a little bit nervous going into that setting coming from the commercial? Because commercials are so different. Yeah, and I was, and I think I felt that the first time uh, for early edition in Cupid that, that you're kind of looking around, seeing the scope of it. Okay. That you're going, wow. You know, and you, and you see the, the lead of the show that you see all the time. And it, it, it just, yeah, I was definitely nervous about it. And I, and I, you know, I, I yeah, it was. It was it was definitely a, it was definitely a challenge and and trying to find your way, especially in Shasta McNasty. It was a little over the top, which is what I did at the time. I was like the poor man's Jim Carrey. So when, okay. Jim, when the mask came out, it was perfect for me because I became everybody was looking for that kind of energy in all the regional commercials and lottery commercials in Chicago, and I was the guy. Um, so it was hard for me to pull back from that and okay. figure out how to do film and how to do TV single camera and pull it back and and be have smaller thoughts instead of big exclamation marks. So you're doing that Shasta and then you're recurring mm -hmm. and then you're still doing commercials. Yep. And now at this point in your mind, where you, where do you want your career to go? Are you I always wanted to do multicam and I, I wanted to be on friends. Like that was what I, that's what I felt like I was built to do. Um, my way off dream was to do movies. I mean, to, right. be, to be in movies, but I thought, no, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to be that guy. But multicam, I love. I'm good at it, and that's what I want to do. Um, but I, you know, it's funny because the guy who directed me in, in Herringbone, the musical, my prof the professor at Syracuse told me, he said, "You're not going to start working a lot until you're in your 40s." He told me that when I was in my 20s, and he was totally right. That's crazy. He isn't just it? knew there was something about me. He's like, when you start turning into a character, you're a character guy caught in a not so good looking leading guy's body. Because at the time, I wasn't, I'm never going to book a leading man, but I also wasn't weird enough looking at the time. Right. But now that I'm getting kind of bald and I'm getting, you know, kind of more angular, now I'm kind of falling into my niche. It's so funny how that is. Like, as I just started going on auditions again, and it's, uh, it's like balding is so in. Like, you know, you sit yeah. there, and when you're a kid, you're like, I don't want to be bald. I don't want to be bald. Now it's like, if, you, if you're an actor who's like over 40 and you're not bald, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah. I mean, you know, because they, they want the dad, because they want they want a dad to be bald, because that means every bald guy can relate to the dad. Right. But if you're like this, you know, I mean, unless you're, 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 unless you're established, but if you're like a guy, you can be 45, you can start doing commercials if you're bald. But if you're 45, you know, you have to be either established or very good looking to do that Viagra commercial. I know. I mean, that's, that's I, I, and that's a competitive category to be the leading man with the full head of hair that gets into his 40s. And that's tough, man. Yeah, but but for us, you know, there's a lot of guys like us, but but we're totally different from each other. We could go in and give the same read on the same thing and be totally different. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And because that's what's you're, so you're cool. taller. I'm more quirky. I mean, yeah, you're taller. You're... We'd, we'd give totally different performances. Right. And depending on what they want, they'd hire. And it's not, you know, you... So, so you do the Shasta McNasty. Now like you start recurring in different shows. You get you start doing guest spots on different yeah, shows, Yeah, right? I did NYPD Blue, a really big guest star on NYPD Blue, which was my first big, big dramatic thing. Right, I was going to ask you, so how was that? Because musical awesome. theater and then comedy yeah. and commercials, which are comedy or strength. Right. But now you're going through NYPD, and NYPD was such a heavy-hitting show. It was heavy, and, and the role I was playing, it was a huge, huge guest star. I think it was during Sweeps Week. It was okay. just a big episode, and I was, of course, a child molester because that's what we bald guys play. I know, isn't that crazy? All the time. 
all the time. If it's drama, I'm a child molester. If it's comedy, I'm I'm a I'm a you know I'm a janitor. Um, and never the two shall meet. Um, so what was that? I mean, because now you're you're going to is that with Dennis France? I mean, you know, it's it's uh, the whole scene. The whole thing was with Dennis. Okay. And uh, and by the way, the nicest guy I have ever met in show business. Okay. I have never if I had if he had. If I had just ran into him at an audition, I'd have been like, we, we should go out and get a beer. Let's get, he was that kind of guy. Okay. I just, I talked about like he's, um, so that whole, the, the whole thing was me denying, 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 and then having this huge, where he beats the crap out of me. And, and, and it was, that's when I knew, all right, okay, maybe I can do the movies and maybe I can, you know, maybe I can break into that, that side of it. Cause I did that. I did West Wing. I did Six Feet Under. All of them were very, well, West Wing was kind of a, a one-off, but, but, but. Um, West, uh, but Six Feet Under was very intense, and I thought, well, maybe that's the way I'm going to go. Maybe I'm not a multicam guy. Maybe I'm a single camera dramatic guy. Maybe that's where I'm going to go. It must be a hard road because you're sitting there going, one, your bread and butter is in the TV, right? Now. I mean, the commercials. Yes. And then you're doing, you're, you have sitcoms, but then you're really enjoying the drama. But you don't, as a not as I guess as a character actor, as you know, not a leading man, right? It usually doesn't cross. The, the paths don't cross. I mean, you see it now more, but back then it was like you were on dramas, you were in sitcoms. So w- w- did you go through a certain thing where you're like, I really have to decide, you know, what am I going to do? I don't think, I think it was more for my representation because they have to sell me. So okay. how do they sell me? Am I a, com- a comedy guy or am I a dramatic guy? And how do you get me in the door? Because my reel kind of had a little bit of both. And so I think that was the problem. I didn't have an identity yet. And I hadn't met a mentor or anyone out here to help guide me and say, hey, look, this is what you need to be doing. And I, I didn't have that for my first 15 years. I just didn't have it. Um, it's so funny, though, you say you didn't have it, but th- yet, yet you were working. And that's what's amazing. It's like so many people don't work, and they're just, they, they, have, they have all the knowledge, and yeah. they don't work. But you, you're, you, you were working, but yeah. you just, you were in a... I was trying to figure it out on my own. And a, but a great... Uh, Situation to be in. Do yeah. I do drama or combo? Either way, I'm working. It's a great thing. Oh yeah, and I, so so NYPD Blue. I think was the the first thing where I felt like okay, I'm a, I'm kind of a real actor. I'm not I'm not just a commercial actor. Which you know I I say that I think being a commercial actor is a fantastic thing. And I when I hear actors that say they don't want to do commercials, I just think you're absolutely nuts. It is a phenomenal exercise to go to the auditions. It's a phenomenal exercise to book them because you're getting multiple notes doing different. It's great practice. And right. It pays great. It's it's ridiculous to not do commercials. I don't understand why anybody wouldn't. So you're doing both, and now yeah. I see on your IMDb you you uh, were in a Father of the Pride. You were a voice. Mm-hmm. Now, now, had you done voiceovers before? Seeing that you had a background in singing and stuff like that, it shows you. you when I was to- in Chicago, my my dad sold everything from insurance to to building supplies to business forms. Okay. And when I moved to Chicago, he said to me, uh, uh, the the when I started in Chicago, you could be multi-listed, so, and I couldn't get an agent. So I made these postcards. I went to the, my photographer, the guy who took my headshots, and I said, I need you for 15 minutes. Can you do it for 100 bucks?" He said, fine. So I go in, took a picture of me coming out of a garbage can, holding my resume, pointing at it with a pathetic look, and underneath it said, I am still in your files, aren't I? In quotes, and my name. And then I took another picture of me in a Bulls uniform, spinning a basketball in my hand. And it said, Brian Stepanik, and in quotes, I'm back. Because it was right when Michael Jordan came back from his retirement. Okay. And it was the talk of the town in Chicago. And so I would put a funny quote on the back of these. I made stacks. And every Wednesday, I'd send them out in the mail to all the casting directors and agents in town on a Wednesday. So it would arrive on a Friday when they were in a good mood and the weekend was coming. And they'd get these little cards and they'd get these little quotes. And, and that wasn't enough. It wasn't working. So I went and I sat in the lobby of the agent's offices at lunch and read a book. So I went to an agent's lobby, and I sat and I read a book, probably once or twice a week for about a month, 
And one day, one of the agents came out and went, Brian. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I have something for you. Brings me back into the bowels of the agency. I was like, oh, my God, I'm in the belly of the beast. And I get back there. And he goes, I have a commercial audition for this Indiana Lottery commercial. And I said, okay. He goes, uh, can you record it tomorrow? We're going to do it here. And I went, all right. I didn't know how anything worked. I was like, okay, right. all right. What do, what do I wear? Well, just wear a suit. So I came in, auditioned for it, booked it. The casting director who was supposed to assemble all the auditions was ticked off at the agent for sending in their own tape. So he was like, who the hell is Brian Stepanek? So he, he was the best. David O'Connor is one of my good friends, and he's the, one of the best casting He's the best casting director in Chicago. <clears throat> Calls me in, and I meet him. Next thing I audition for, I book. Next thing, booked. It just And that's how things started in Chicago commercially. Um, I don't know why, why I started we, this. We were way. talking about the voice. Voiceover. So, so then he hooked me up with an agency, and my dad, who knew, he's like, you've got to be – You've got to be a jack of all trades to make a money money as an actor. Am I right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, so what is this voiceover thing that you're talking about? And I said, well, you know, you do radio commercials because you have to do that. Don't sign with that company, with that agency, until you until you get that. And I went, all right. So I'm sitting with them, and they go, Brian, we'd really like to sign you. You've booked a bunch of commercials on your own. We want to sign. I said, well, only if I can do voiceover. And they went, okay. And that's how I started doing voiceover. And I just, so, you, so you did that, and you did Father of the Pride. Father, Okay, so Father of the Pride was uh, – that started um, – do you know the movie Over the Hedge? It was with Bruce Willis as a yeah. raccoon. Okay. Yeah. Uh, originally, that was Jim Carrey in that role. And I auditioned to do the scratch track, which is all the temporary stuff before Jim Carrey comes in. When they start working on the character and they want to hear it out loud and play scenes for the, for the studio uh, in their screening room, Jim can't always be there. They need someone else to kind of do stuff. So I went in and auditioned for that and booked it. And I came in and the director was Tim Johnson, who's now a very close friend of mine. And I, we started improvising, and I did Jim Carrey's voice. And uh, then Jim would come in, and they'd have me read opposite Jim. So when he would go off script, I'd go off script with him as every okay. other character. So I got to know DreamWorks that way. And then when Father of the Pride came up, they asked me to come in and read opposite. Everyone who ever guest starred on Father of the Pride, I'm, I read opposite them. Who were some of the guest stars? Uh, Danny DeVito. Okay, so big um, names. Lisa Kudrow. Now, how you're just a kid from Cleveland? Is that I, I mean, it's like you sit there and you go when you're sitting there and you know, and we all watch Taxi and Devito. It's and Devito is just <sighs> amazing, and Friends. And the thing is, you said you wanted to be on Friends, so yeah. now you're reading those people. Do you, did you ever get intimidated, or were you just like, oh no, I'm a professional, and so are they? I get intimidated, and I and I, but I stop it. I okay. I just I need because well, my job was to service them, was to make them better. So so I was in this the 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 booth once with Gary Shandling. Because he was doing uh, obviously over the hedge, and there was a scene where he had to yell to get uh, 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 Jim Carrey's character, Bruce Willis's character, to come back, and, he, and it wasn't happening. And so I took a chance and I started walking out of the booth. I just got up and I walked away, and he went, "Wait, wait, wait!" Hey. And then he turned and he turned to the director. He goes, "I want him in here every time." <laughs> I see, that's great. <laughs> but it was a huge risk. He could have got ticked at me, but right. I was like, oh, "I'll try." But you had the instincts. Yeah. So Father of the Pride goes for how long? Uh, I only did I did one little character on that for maybe four four episodes. I don't think it lasted a whole season. I think it got canceled. So you, you so now but now you have a, you have the commercials, you have the drama, you have the comedy, you have the voiceover. So now yes. you're a multitasking guy. Yes. You have lots of uh, ways to go. What route do you choose? It wasn't a choice. It was whoever will have me. Okay, just, I, I'm going to keep doing in, all of it. You in CSI Miami. Yeah. Now, I think I actually saw that episode cuz I it's so funny cuz now you can see me and me and Joanne always crack up because she loves all this episodic TV. And I call them murder she wrote. Okay, that's yeah, the, the ones that have a beginning, middle, and end in every it's, episode. They're murder she wrote. They're great. And the yeah. thing is, that what I, we'd always laugh at is we we've learned that if we watch TV for like four hours, uh -huh. there's there's not going to be a show or a commercial that 
that you won't know somebody in. The one my guest hasn't been on. And oh, so we wow. Sit there. No, because we sit there and it's like whenever, because it's like, it's like when you do episodic, you know, you go from show to show. Yeah. It's like the mentalist or the, and the, the, the CSI is the one that will book people in different CSIs. Like yes. a lot of shows won't do that, but CSI does. So you do CSI Miami. What, what, what was your character in that? I was a guy who, um, I only had one scene. It was a small scene. It was, it was, I was a guy who was frustrated with the air traffic going over my house. So I took a laser pen and pointed it at the, at the, plane hit the pilot in the eye and the plane crashed so david caruso and his gang come to my house and you know he takes off his glasses and yeah i was gonna thing. ask you how how can you take david caruso seriously i mean i always say with hd he looks like a jack-o-lantern let me just say this about david caruso i think that you know th- there's a rap on him that he takes a lot of takes and he did that day he took a lot of takes but it was an easy shot how many? When you say a lot, like how many on a, on a, a normal TV show? What two or three takes usually? Yeah. Okay. How many did he take? Over forty. Really? That day, yeah. And and I know that because it got to the point where I was like, I need to know this number because I'm going to tell this story for the rest of my life. <laughs> now here's well, what was wrong with the takes though. What? He would stop the take. This is the thing about him. He 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 is a perfectionist. So if he's not feeling it, if he's not at the moment where he enters the scene, if something's off, he'll stop. He'll yell cut. So he was calling cut, which is very rare for an actor to call cut. So he couldn't get through it. But eventually he got through the scene. And what was fascinating was when they turned the camera around on me, he nailed his part for me. Nailed it. Like gave me as much support as you can possibly give. Wow. And, but he didn't stutter. He didn't stop. He, didn't, he just gave it to him. And he gave a great performance for me, the guest star on the show. And I felt bad for him because he was exhausted at the end. But I think there's just something in his brain that won't allow him to get through it unless it's perfect from beginning to end in his mind. I, I feel like he was tortured. I felt bad for him. He did a great job. Um, but I, and I felt bad a little for his co-stars because it must be a they want to go home. Yeah, it's like it's like you know, it's I mean, for a guest star, if you're getting paid, you know, the golden time after you're like, oh, I'll stay. But when you're when you're no, in the show, you 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 brutal salary you can't you have to stay there that's yeah, brutal so now i'm saying it's so funny because i know you went to sweet life with zach and cody yes but before that you played Arwen. but now arwin the movie now this i'm looking at your imdb yeah. was that before zach and cody no arwin that is actually mis uh titled on imdb that was actually called housebroken okay and anytime there's a pilot on imdb they call it a tv movie all right. That's okay. I was just wondering. And so what they did was, uh, I, when I auditioned for Sweet... It's interesting. When I auditioned for Sweet Life, they were looking for a fat, hairy guy. Isn't that amazing how sometimes you see... The, everyone says sometimes you just have to reply to a breakdown because you might walk in and they go, I mean, you're... They picked my headshot. So any actor that's listening to this, if you ever talk yourself out of a role, they looked at your headshot and called you in. So don't say you're not right for the role because of the way you look, because they thought you were, they're like, no, we'll take a look at this guy. This could be interesting. So you, you're there for a reason. So when we went to the audition, was there a lot of fat, hairy guys there? Oh, it was like I was in an audition for Hagrid. Isn't that funny? It was it's, unbelievable. It's, and, I, and I went in and I was like, you know what? These guys are all going to play this slow and kind of dumb. I'm going to make them hyperactive. I'm going to go the absolute opposite direction because I can't be what these guys are. I can't do it. And I booked it. And, they, and they've and they told me, because the creators of that show ended up spinning me off into my own show called Housebroken, which is what that Arwen the movie is. And they told me, they said, we, you left the room and we all sat there and went, can we, can we do this? Can this character be this instead? And they completely rewrote him and made him this hyper childlike guy. Um, so that's what that is. They spun me into my own show. Um, actually, the, the night of the first taping that I ever was on, Sweet Life, uh, one of the producers came up to me and said, you need your own show. We got to get you your own show. And a year later, we were shooting my own show. I mean, it was amazing. So, what was that? What was it like? You said, you know, you can't go to a mall without kids. Like, getting all of it. now you're on Zach, and, and then the funny thing is, for that, like, I, I have a friend who was in um, 
Three Kings or something. I don't know. Okay. His uh, name's Gino Seegers, real big guy. Okay. And I follow him on Twitter and we keep in touch. But he's like, he doesn't follow anybody because he gets all these kids sending him stuff and he, he can't really tweet. He's like, Coop, don't tweet me anything wrong because know, I got these because, kids following yeah, me. Kids yeah, yeah. So for you, now you, the, the sweet life. Now, yeah. now, how many auditions did you take to get that part? Was was that originally a big part or was it? Did you build it, it, in? Uh, Arwen was originally in the pilot. He okay. was originally a regular, and they had to write it out of it because it was too expensive to have another adult as a regular. So five episodes in, they brought him in as a guest star. Uh, I auditioned twice. I went in the first time, and then they wanted me back, and they said, we want you to be bigger. <laughs> I was like, are you really? Because <laughs> I can go really big. No, they want you to be bigger. So I went in again, met with the producers, and that's how I booked it. So it wasn't like I was auditioning at Network. It was I was a guest star and then started recurring on a regular basis. And um, eventually this talk of spinning me off happened. And Disney Channel had never done a show about an adult uh, with an adult as the lead. So uh, Selena Gomez played my niece. Okay. So they shot – Selena Gomez shot uh, Wizards of Waverly Place. And then she shot mine two weeks later. And they were going to pick between the two. And uh, – Ours was phenomenal. Like even to this day, when I watch, I'm like, "This was such a good show. It was great." And they they went with Wizards. Well, a lot of those kids are the kids shows are good. As like I said, you know, iCarly. I watched it. My friend George is a great show. My friend George who wrote for Shasta McNasty uh-huh. wrote for iCarly, and yeah. and people go, "Dude, are you weird? Like you don't have kids?" And I go, "No, it's it's, it's a, a funny good. show. It's well written, yeah. and it's done so professionally." Like kid Jerry Trainer is awesome. Oh my god, he's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So now, when you're doing the Sweet Life, you, you play a quirky character. Right. Now kids people start recognizing you yes because i always think you know between besides star trek people who recognize everyone kids remember everything yes how does that affect you i mean when you go out like i mean would, would kids just come up to you and be like do they think you're the character or do they they know no they okay. they know the, you know the kids the, 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 when it first started they they always knew but now um those kids are older so i have college kids coming up to me like i, okay. I give my wife a hard time all the time because he's you know these hot college girls would be like, hey, I watched you on Sweet Life. I was like, see, honey, I still got it. Know what I'm saying? And uh, so it's a huge range of kids. And now because it's on Netflix, I still have young kids coming up. Kids are, because that show was so iconic. People just loved it. So older brothers and sisters are now having the younger brothers and sisters and watching it. Um, so yeah, it is bizarre. I'll go through them all. Anywhere I go, I, you know, I'll have to wear a hat if I don't. If I'm with my kids, I don't particularly like it. Right. Well, how old are your kids? Uh, nine, six, and three. Were they fans of the show, or did they did they watch it now, or did they sit there? Because I always I always wonder what it's like for a, a father when his kids sit there and you're adored by other kids. So as like as a kid, you must get a little bit jealous because it's like that is that's why my, that's I, my dad. I, I, but totally, and that is why I never let my kids watch it. Uh, they just started watching it recently, Sweet Life. So my oldest son knew and had seen random episodes, but he's never sat down and just watched all the... He's 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 maybe seen four or five episodes total um, just for that very reason because I don't want him to see me as a TV personality, as this other thing until he's... Little, now he's old enough to handle it, but like it just felt weird to me. And I think he... he I, you see him kind of when kids come up, kind of back off, and I always wonder what's going through his head. I think he's proud because that's his dad, Arwen's his dad. Oh, and then in school, it's like it's like, you know, that's like the cool kid. It's like anything. It's like when 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 I grew up, there was uh one of the Sixers GM's kids was in our class and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's uh Chuck Daly's daughter." And so you're like, "Wow." And you wanted to get to know her. Yeah. So like for your son, it must be one thing where a kid's like, "Oh yeah, that's Arwen's dad." But then on the other thing, it's like uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, it's, you know, that's my dad, but he's he's not like that in real life because people, you right. know, it's just, it must be weird. It's it's like this extra filter 
that's there that that isn't there normally. That's this extra thing between you and your kid that that you're you know that you have to fight through. Right. Um, well, for Jack, my son, he you know when he was in first grade, that was when the fifth graders all knew me. So the fifth graders were like, "That kid's Arwen." So they took care of him. Like okay, they, they, so he got he got, he got, he got watched got... out for. It. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like though acting? Because the, the, the character's over the top, and, and it's your job. Mm-hmm. And now, you, but you, you're going from as I said, you know. CSI and playing a pedophile and yeah. different show like NYPD Blue, and then you do this fun character. Was it is it hard for you to sit there and sit there and go, God, okay, I'm going back to comedy? Like when you after you do a drama, do you miss the drama and say, oh, I want to do? Or how's that work? It's easier for me to go from drama to over the top comedy. I okay. mean, I I think Disney Channel and Nickelodeon are the last places to do Three's Company. It's the last place to do musical theater comedy where you're tripping behind couches and the turns are really sharp and the ace and the B sides of jokes are, you know, you know, you like it, you know, when you set up a joke where you're like, ah, you know, I don't know if I'm going to do that. Okay, I'll do it. It's that's that it's like horror movie. It's I, I always think comedy and horror are the same thing. So horror is you're trying to surprise the audience and comedy is the same thing. You're trying to take them one way and then you surprise them and right. on the B side of the joke, you take them the other, you know that from. And so I think that it's easier to go from drama to that. Then from that back to drama, the reversals are all still there in drama, but the thoughts are really small. Now, the question I was going to ask, I was going to ask you, oh, okay, so you're, you're doing the, the Armin, and now a lot of times when you do a lot of commercials, people mm-hmm. think of you as a commercial actor. Yes. But now, but now you're doing the TV show. Yeah. But so now when you go for auditions, are people saying, okay, the exact opposite, like this is that Disney guy. Yes. So, so that must have been that must have sucked for you for a little bit because it, it is you were now. so used to doing the commercials. But so, I mean, how did that? How did you do that transition? Um, it, it's it's happening now. I mean, I, I, I my commercial world has slowed down tremendously. I think because I've become recognizable as a TV film guy because I do a lot of Michael Bay films as well, and I think people see me and are like, ah, you know, we've seen that guy. And so it's harder for me to get in those rooms now for commercials, which financially is devastating. But in terms of t- TV film, this last year has been fantastic for me. I've done right. several guest stars. I booked a pilot. I've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, but financially, it's you know, it's tough. Now the one commercial you're on, I believe, is the uh, Sprint. Yes. With Diane Neal. Yes. Which honestly, I think everyone and because me and my girlfriend watch SVU. Yeah. And I think everybody in the country who watched that show when they watched that commercial was like, is that Diane? And I, I Googled it. I mean, that's the right. thing that, I mean, have, have you, have you gotten that? Have people come up to you and say, Hey, is that the girl from SVU in the commercial? With you? I had no idea who she was. Okay. I had no idea who she was. And so I met her just, <laughs> I thought she was a commercial actress that was, you know, came from New York. I didn't know who she was. And then I started to realize when people were coming up to her on set, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's, and then I looked her up and I went, okay. And then I, you know, I was clued in. Uh, no, but that commercial I was at the Hollywood Bowl watching, I don't know what concert I was there for, and I'm walking down that middle aisle, and a random drunk person goes, cartilage in your knee! <laughs> this drunk, because that was the line I said in a freaking commercial! And everyone around me, because it was packed, everyone turned and went, oh yeah! Like everybody knew from a freaking commercial, because they played it so much. Oh, I was mean, on so much, and it's funny, and, and she's so recognizable if you watched SVU, because yeah. she... And it, that once again, it's a very funny. I always think about TV's funny this way. How some commer- some shows won't cast people, but she was on an episode of SVU where she was the person who was her and her friends raped a guy at a bachelor party, and that. But then years later, she comes back as the, as the attorney. attorney, and yeah. it's a different character. But when you sit there and you watch, you go, "Wait a second! Wait a minute! I've seen her!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you said Michael Bay. Now you yeah. were in, in the island. Uh, uh, the first thing I was in for him was the island. I, I actually did a commercial with him. 
Okay. And uh, now, when was he doing commercials? Was that? Oh, he he he. I don't know. He might still do them. I don't know, probably not anymore. But he he was doing. It was a Ford commercial where he used footage from Armageddon. Okay. Um, and uh, that was, I think, it was a perfect melding. And uh, he and I got in a big argument at like two o'clock in the morning at a power plant in Long Beach, and 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 he was, you know, very upset. And what was I, it about? I I wasn't taking a set of keys out of my pocket properly. And uh, I didn't really understand it. <laughs> yeah. To this day, I don't understand it. But something, something, you know, bugged him, and so he got really, you know, upset. And then, and I don't ever get upset, but I got upset too. And we we kind of yelled at each other for a little bit. And I don't know that I ever gave him what he wanted. Um, but I was in everything he did for the next four years. Now the island was that with the DiCaprio? No, no, that was with. Um, uh, it was with Scarlett Johansson and uh, Ewan McGregor. Now where did that shoot? Uh, it shot in L.A., Detroit, and I believe we were in Arizona. No, Nevada. We were in Nevada. Now, what was it like going to movies now? Because once again, you're taking another turn. You you have the commercial. You have the voiceover. You have musical theater. You have sitcom and drama. So drama's more along the movie scene. Oh, but yeah. now it's not. It's a whole other level. You're not in a studio. You're, you're in a location. You're outside. You used to be in contained. I mean, for commercials, you really weren't. But was what was that like? I mean, you must have been sitting there going, "Wow!" I'm completely freaking out. I, I was completely freaking why out because of the scale of it. It was it was down in Downey. You know, Downey Studios, those big, huge. Where they used to build the space shuttles. It's right. a gigantic building, and they built that set in the island that that where they lived. That kind of facility, that was all real. There were working elevators in that set. It was gigantic, and it took up one eighth of the building. Wow! It was incredible. And so you're just surrounded by 200 extras, and all the women were like these models that could pay $1,000 a day just to be there. You know, I don't know if you remember the movie. It was just beautiful women everywhere, uh, which is odd for Michael Bay. He doesn't normally do that. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, very unique. And uh, so, so it was just the scale of it was so uh, over the top that it was very intimidating. It was extremely intimidating. And then I found out one day I get there, and they go, Brian, we're going to shoot your scene uh, uh, with Sean tomorrow. And I said, what scene with Sean? And they go, oh, you don't. Oh, oh, okay. And somebody runs, gets a script, and brings it back. And I have the scene with Sean Bean where he murders me. I wasn't that wasn't in the script. Apparently, they went and, and got notes on what they had shot so far, and a note came back from I don't know if it was Spielberg or whoever, but said they wanted a sympathetic character to die at the end of Act Two, and they picked me. And I was like, okay. Had you ever been killed in anything? No, it was great. So what did they? Because I was in a really. How did you die? I know I wasn't. I wasn't. I got shot. I was in a really nice, click, weird movie called Killer Drag Queens on Dope. Okay. And I got beat up, and I got shot. Nice. And I got shot in the ear, and I ran away. But you got shot in the ear. Yeah. Did but, they have but, a little plug? Did they? Did it, they blow it was it up? so low budget. It was. It was like I. It's there was some blood. I, I just went and I right, ran. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, oh. oh. By the way, that was amazing what you just did. Yeah, I see, wish people could see it. I, you know, you it was fascinating. I'm, I'm an amazing actor. <laughs> but now for you, and you're, you're in a big, big movie Ugh. to die. Ugh. And aren't you afraid that like, you're going to sit there? I always think when they, when I always sit there and we all think, we always joke around. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll, I'll do like, I'll with my girlfriend, she'll come and I'll be like, I'll be laying on the couch like I'm dead joking right, around. Right. But you always think they're going to see me breathe. Now you can't breathe because oh. you're in a movie. No, no. So how do you prepare? Well, this is the thing. It's Michael Bay. So he doesn't talk to you. <laughs> Nobody talks to you. Nobody says anything to you. So I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to die. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's going to happen. So they come up and they have the Alka-Seltzer and the toothpaste and the water so they can put it in your mouth so you can foam from the mouth. I was like, this is going to be freaking great. I get to foam from the mouth. But then I'm nervous. How do I do it? Do they want me to convulse? Do they want me? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Do I just pass out? Do I roll my eyes back? How do you? Con- I don't know. So I don't know if you saw the movie or remember the scene, but but I convey information to Sean Bean, who's the big bad guy, and I don't know he's a big bad guy, that I know something's wrong with the facility and that we're not the only ones left on the planet. 
and he's like, have you told anyone else? And of course I go, no, you're the only person I told. You know, I'm just this, you know, because there's like a man child, all of them. And so he takes a syringe about a foot long and has to stab me in the neck. But you don't know. You don't know. As the character, I have no idea he's going to do that. Okay. Okay. So this is what happens when we get there. I get to the set. And it's this little room they built off in another part of that giant building. And, and Michael would take a golf cart back and forth between the big set, shoot something huge with 200 people there. And then he'd go, I want this, 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 and this, set it up. And then he'd drive back to us and shoot us. It was like the happiest he's ever been because all he did was shoot because he hates waiting. So they bring in this metal case and in it are four syringes. One of them is the fake one. I don't know which one it is. And I don't trust anyone else to know which one it is. So we start take one. And Sean Bean and I are doing the scene. And he grabs over and doesn't look. And reaches over and grabs one of these random syringes and holds it up. And I went, cut! I screamed cut because I didn't want to get stabbed in the neck. Right. And Michael died laughing. He's like, you don't know if that's the real one, do you? And I go, no. And then he was great. He came over, showed it to me. He said, I want those other ones strapped in so Brian knows they're not going to come out of that box. And then Sean stabs me in the neck. And then I was like, oh, I get to do the foam. They were so low on time that they didn't even do it. I just fall out of frame and you never see me again. Oh, so you don't even get to lay there. I didn't get to convulse. No, I didn't get to lay there. That's the thing where you get to lay there. No. Because and, and you, and, you know what happens in those death scenes. Yeah. Everyone watches going, he, so I'm breathing. And, and, yeah, and yeah. you know, you just, in your mind, you say, so I'm breathing. Sure. So, so you do that. So now you're doing more drama. But yeah. then you can do kick, uh, but kick. But Batowski, yeah. Okay. Now, are you sitting there going, I don't really want to go back to a kid's show? No. Or, or did you sit there? I mean, did you I really? sit there and think, I need to pay for my house. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. I, I'm not I'm not in a place where I can go, I'm going to do this from now on. It's right. like, you know, I don't, nobody cares about me out here. I got to care. I'm the only one who cares about me. So I got to. Yeah, but, you, but you, you work a lot. So you, yeah, people yeah, care about you. Yeah. But, but in terms of being able to choose what I want to do, I'm just not in the place to do that. And kick happened because I had a relationship with Disney Channel. Okay. And they were fans of mine. And I had, obviously, Arwen had spun off into his own show. So they made the animation department aware of me. And that's, I think, how that came to be. Now, did you, that's a voiceover, right? Voiceover, yeah. Now, now do you enjoy, because everyone says voiceover is great because you can just it's a blast. You show up in your boxers. And now, best. do you record in a studio or do you record at home? Uh, I recorded that in a studio, but I auditioned from home. Oh, so, so you sit there and you, what do you, how do you audition from home? I have a closet and I have this Sonics that you have on the wall here. It's like this foam stuff and I have that on the wall. And not everywhere because I'm in a closet, most of it's clothes. And uh, I have a good mic and a laptop and um, that's it. And I just audition from home. So that's the weird thing is you're doing that show, so, but kids don't recognize your voice now, which is, I mean, do they, do they know, like do, do kids do research going, that's Arwen or, or no? I doubt it. So what, what other movies did you do with uh, Michael Bay? I did Transformers uh, and I just did Pain and Gain. Okay, now Transformers, what did you play? I played a Sector 7 agent that was John Turturro's secondhand man. It shot at the same time as my pilot, the housebroken pilot. So uh, they wanted me on set more often than I could be there because I was doing the pilot, which really bums me out because I think I would have been in the movie a lot more. But I remember (laughs) I had this amazing 24-hour period where I'm shooting my pilot in front of a live audience. They do the playback from the stuff we had played shot the day before. For and that pilot. was for Disney. That was for Disney. That now, was, that they, was Arwen. That where, was Arwen. Where did they shoot that? They shot it at uh, Hollywood Center Studios. Okay. And so they do the playback. The audience roars for the playback. It get Everybody loves it. The president of the network's telling me he's the best pilot we ever shot. Unbelievable. I have to, we finish shooting. I go to the little cast party. I have a Coke. And I go, sorry, I got to go to a night shoot for Transformers. 
Yeah. So I drive down to the transformers. And every actor's going, "Oh God, I'm, I'm that like, guy, that guy's a jerk." I know, total ass. <laughs> he just, he just, he starred and killed it, and now he has to go to transformers. It was, it, jerk. And you know, how actors are. Oh, totally, jerk. jerk. It was awesome. I was thinking that about myself. So I go and I do the scene with John Turturro and and Shia LaBeouf and and. What was and, it like with Turturro? Because Turturro is such a master. He's such a great actor. Unbelievable. And I, I, I bet he seems like a really nice guy. Very nice guy, and 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 talented beyond. He got up and did an impression of Scorsese when he did The Color of Money. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He had Michael Bay on the floor. And he did it. We were shooting a scene in a car where the top of the car gets ripped off. And John stood up in the car and did his Scorsese impression. And I looked at him. I was like, oh, I get it. I get why you are who you are. He, he's just charismatic. And, and he was phenomenal. Great to work with. He was great. Um, but anyway, that night I remember shooting that and getting home like at 5.30 in the morning, popping open a beer, sitting on my back patio going, I'm going to be a star. That, but that's such a great day. And then it all fell to hell. No, yeah, the, no, the pilot doesn't get picked up and, you know. Yeah, but still, you're, 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 you're a big star. You're on Cooper Dark. <laughs> you're darn right. No, so <laughs> so with, with the, with the uh, Transformers, did you get to act with the robots? Like, that was cool. Are, um, are they? They're they're all made up. So you? Oh no, they're you, all real. Totally real. Oh, no, uh, are you serious? No, I'm totally kidding. I was, I was, like, I was, they, all, I was like, wait a second. I'm like, I'm missing something. I'm exist. the stupidest person around. Yeah, they exist. They keep them in Area 51. Um, no, uh, there's a scene where they rip the top off of this car, where Optimus Prime or Bumblebee or somebody rips the top off of our car. And what they did was they had these huge, long, adjustable poles with the Transformers face on a cardboard face at the top. So you had eye lines. So you would look up at the pole. So, you know, Bumblebee's maybe 30 feet tall and, and or 20 feet tall and, and, and Optimus Prime is 50 feet tall. So you have eye lines to look at. And that's how they shot it. That was, it was that simple. That's so cool. So as I'm looking at your resume, I saw when you were in Major Crimes, which uh, yeah, I, just I enjoy that show. Yep. But why are you listed as Brian Patrick stepping up? That was a weird thing that, that that popped up, and I don't know why that happened. I actually just had to fix that. Cause no, because it's your. I mean, it's not like your name is like. There's tons of Steve Coopers, but there's not. I don't. I don't know any Stepanex. I, I don't know why that happened. I don't. That's crazy. I, it's really weird. It's weird that you bring that up because a few months ago I had to fix it. Somebody, one of my producer friends, says, "You know, your list is Brian Patrick Stepanek." I think it was maybe even on IMDb or somewhere, and I had to call and fix it. Now Very we weird. we talked about Brian and Brian. Yeah. Now you wrote that. I co-wrote it um, with uh, a friend of mine named Danny Kaplan. Uh, he directed them. Um, and what happened was Disney came to us and, and was producing these little interstitials between programming. And they were looking for something that they could air for all of Disney channels all over the world and not have to change it or reshoot it in another language. So they thought silent comedy. So apparently Disney Channel in Germany tried it, and for some reason the Germans couldn't pull off silent comedy. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it would be right down their alley. And uh, it didn't work, so they came to me and said, would you like to do this with Danny, because they knew Danny. And so we sat down, we wrote uh, some episodes, shot three, they loved them, and we went back and we shot them all in Italy over about a five or six week period, uh, broken up, and we did 40 episodes. So you did that, and now you were also in Two and a Half Men. Yes. Now, did you have scenes with John Cryer? Yeah. I, I think he's a brilliant uh physical comic no i have not but first of all not only is he brilliant he is the nicest guy on the planet and i love him and i wish i had scenes with him i had i originally got cast in that show when charlie sheen was on and uh it was a huge guest star of this creepy hotel manager i booked it and 15 minutes later he was carted out of his house on a stretcher oh wow swear to god so they canceled it and then i don't know if you remember went back and forth so then they booked me again a week later and then he they fired him and then it went away and then i get a call a year later saying they want you to come and guest star on, on two and a half men in that character and I get there, I'm at the table read, and Chuck Lorre comes in and points at me and goes, we never forget. And he put me on as a character, and then it went really well, and they recurred me. And we did the same scene that was supposed to be with Charlie, we did with Ashton. 
and, uh, and then I just shot an episode of Mom this last week for him. Mom is, uh, it's funny, it's a good show. Yeah. It's my girlfriend watches it a lot, and Anna Ferris is great. Yeah. And uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Allison Janney. Yeah, she's, a, she's clutch, because she comes from a dramatic background. She's amazing. Very much like you, yeah. the dramatic background, and now it's comedy. Yeah, she's amazing, and so is Anna. They, they're both great, and the show's really good. Chuck's been spending all of his time, Chuck, like, I, like I'm friends with him, Mr. Laurie has spent a lot of time and it's really gotten better and better and better and better. It's great. And the writers over there are amazing. And you did the crazy ones. Did the crazy ones. Yeah, I got to meet one of my idols, uh, Robin Williams. What was it like? Did you have scenes with him? Yes. Now, what is that like? Because I've heard he's just everywhere. I mean, he's all over because he's just his mind's well, always He coming. wasn't that day. That day, he, he tried a couple things out. You know, he just like trying on a pair of pants. He goes, I'm going to try something here. And he'd, he'd try it. And it wasn't, I loved him. He was great. He was gracious. He was, he was great. What is it like then when you, when you, you said one of your guys, when you have to sit there and you have to act like if, if I like met Springsteen or Woody Allen, I'd be like, this is great. What is it like? All of a sudden you're sitting there and you're not just meeting him. You're in a you're scene, scene with, with him. him. It was crazy. It's like hard to look him in the eyes. You know what I mean? It's just, that's just a hard, the, the, the coolest one I ever got to do was Dick Van Dyke. I got to, to, he was doing a, uh, Curious George, the movie, and they brought me in to read opposite him. And that was like, I was done. Like, I don't need to meet anyone else. I met Dick Van Dyke. And, See, that's so cool. Oh, it was great. But do, do you have those butterflies? Like, oh, you're yeah. You're going, oh, my God, I don't want to mess up. Not because, and you know you're not going to mess up, but not because you don't want to mess up the, screw up the production. You don't want to mess up in their eyes so Dick Van Dyke walk, might walk off and go, oh, God, that guy's a boo. Right, yeah. You know, I don't have that anymore. I, you know, it's interesting that you asked that. I don't, I'm okay with that now. I don't, I don't have that. I'm just... I step out of my body like, you know, and I was, I was walking home from mom and I'm on the Warner Brothers lot and I'm walking going, I'm from Gates Mills, Ohio. And I'm walking home on the Warner Brothers lot from shooting a, a sitcom. Like, I, I can't even wrap my head around that. Right. So what's coming up now? What do you, what do you, what do you got? In the, I mean, the mom, when, when, the mom's not going to air soon. Mom, mom, I just shot last week. So I don't know what their schedule is, probably in a few weeks. And uh, I shot a pilot for, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say I shot a pilot for one of the kids' networks that okay. I should know by the end of this week or next week whether it's going to get picked up. Goofy character? No, a dad. Kind of a goof, like a Tim Allen-type dad. Now, do you like that because you are a dad? I mean, cause you, I mean, it must be, you know, you go from the goofy guy to being a father. Is it, do, you, do you bring in any of your fathering? Like, oh, when, yeah. When you sit there and you go, when you and you're dealing with a kid. So, basically, I've always heard kids in TV shows look to the star is sort yeah. of like their father because their father's not there because yeah. the kid's the kid's working right it, do you do you bring your father in uh absolutely i and especially you know uh, you know between between shooting and you know the kids are acting up or whatever you're like come on you know because when you don't have kids you don't maybe have the confidence to t- you know t- say to a kid hey, me, I, I, I mean i try to make a kid laugh and then if he cries i feel awful right yeah i mean i my ki- i have a nine-year-old and the show was about nine-year-olds so i knew the kids that were in it i knew exactly how to talk to them well this is you know it's, it's great meeting you um i want to thank you um Give give some. Where can people find you? Do you have reels online, or do you, uh, how can they find you? Just, uh, well, I I have I just started twittering. Is that what it's called? Twitter, tweeting, tweeting, yeah. twittering, tweeting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow you. Tweeting, follow me. I I because I, I I've I've been putting it off, doing it for a while, and now I'm actually really enjoying the process. Tweeting and, is I, I think is for a creative person is one of the best writing uh, exercises. You're exercise. funny. I've read your tweets. Oh, thank They're you. very funny. Uh, you have to you have to sit there and you have to get it in so many different things. And it's as a writer and from the background of comedy, we told over expose, but you sit there and then you get pissed sometimes. Like I'll just write it and I'll go, right. Okay, I can take this out. And it makes me take away the haze or Wow. All the so, handles. And it, that's what's great. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm glad you uh, uh I hope everybody wasn't bored to death. No, I was gonna know what, what's your tweet? Uh, I am Brian Stepanek at Brian well, Stepanek, hashtag Brian Stepanek. Can you uh spell it? B R I A N. 
S T E P A N E K. People people might not know that. that yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And you know the website. Uh, you do have uh, a website. I have a website, but that's it's why an, I contacted it's, you. Yeah, it's, it's not it's, contacted it's more you on of an Twitter. industry. It's more of an industry website, but but uh, yeah, and I think I'm gonna uh, have my my Facebook page become a fan page yeah. if, if this thing gets picked up. Well, I want to thank you. It was great being. Hey, thanks here. for having me. It's a it's pleasure. Great. And people, uh, so follow him. Also follow me at Cooper Talk at Cooper Talk. Also, if you go to my website, CooperTalk.net, I have 226 episodes, and by the time you listen to this, I'll be posting the Neovardalos episode. Tonight, I recorded Should Be the Snowman. I tested on Tuesday. Also, um, follow me uh, at Twitter. As I said, send me an email, Cooper at Indy100, I-N-D-I-E-100. I always forget this stuff. I'm doing the drums for you. Okay. And also, if you have a smartphone, if you have the Android, go to the Google Play Store, type in Cooper Talk, and you can get my app. There's an app there, and if you're an iPhone, go coopertalk.podbean forward slash mobile forward slash. You can do it there. So, yeah, keep listening. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Follow me on Twitter at coopertalk, coopertindy100.com. Remember, drink your water, eat your vegetables, and take your vitamins. It's time for me to get lunch.